Welcome to another edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer, alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, John Adams and Adam Sparks. And the good times are rolling for Tennessee right now, guys. They're 7-5, uh, and five, preparing for a, a bowl bid, which John and I discussed last week, but uh, didn't stop there. Over the weekend, really important news coming out for, for Tennessee's 2022 season, and that quarterback Hendon Hooker, will return next year for what will be his sixth season of college ball. What do you guys think of that? How big is that for Tennessee? How does it change expectations for next year? And, and are you surprised at all that after this really, really good season that Hendon Hooker had this year, that he wouldn't go ahead and try to test the NFL waters now? Well, I want to sincerely thank Hendon Hooker for doing this and not dragging it out through Christmas and New Year's and the bowl in January, which he easily could have done. This tells you probably he was leaning this way all along, which I, th I think a lot of us thought he would. I mean, there's several places where this is going to help Tennessee. I, I think as much as anything, this is going to help them start next season where they wanted to start this season, which is with the offense rolling, with the right quarterback on the field, with a chance to do something early on. A lot of what UT did was, you know, the last two-thirds, certainly the last half of the season, that's where you started to feel good about things. Next season, they'll have a chance to start that clock much earlier. They have Ball State, Pitt, Pitt without Kenny Pickett now, and Akron, and then they play Florida. Well, this year, Hendon Hooker only started a game before going to Gainesville, and they got blown out in that game. Next year, Hooker in the lineup from day one, you have a chance to start 3-0 and there and then finally beat Florida, a Florida team that's in a little bit disarray and having to reboot a little bit its depth chart and with Billy Napier there. And if you're going to get Florida, this is the time to get them. And I think Hendon Hooker coming back gives you a chance to have that 4-0, 5-0 type start that you're not going to have many chances to do. I think it's, it's really good for any team when you have a quarterback returning, a quarterback who's been proficient as, as he has been and who seems to fit Josh Heupel's offense very well. However, I don't think it would have been cataclysmic if Hooker had said, I'm going to give the NFL a shot. Because I really think Josh Heupel's offense is going to attract quarterbacks. And quarterbacks are scrambling from every possible corner of the country now into the transfer portal. And I just think Tennessee would have been a very, very appealing landing spot for all those guys. So I think either way, Certainly, you're better with Hendon and Hooker coming back, but I don't think all would have been lost if he decided to go pro. With Hendon and Hooker coming back next year, as Adam was alluding to, I really think this this ratchets up the expectations for Tennessee. I, I think you know a five and zero start going into that Alabama game, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, Florida and LSU are on the schedule, but as as Adam said, both those those programs are, are reshuffling the the deck with new coaches. So with Hinn and Hooker returning, I look at what Tennessee's situation is, and it sort of reminds me of what Ole Miss had this year with Matt Corral returning off a good season last year and seemed primed for a big season this year. And lo and behold, here's Ole Miss at 10-2 and two, headed to the Sugar Bowl. And so what do you think about this thought? Both Tennessee and Mississippi State, with Will Rogers returning at quarterback at Mississippi State, are going to enter 2022 as sleeper teams to make a New Year's Six Bowl. Do you think that's far too lofty? I'm not saying playoff. I'm not going that far. Um, 
But with starting quarterbacks returning in a conference where we're seeing so many quarterbacks pile up in the transfer portal, is it preposterous to think that Tennessee and Mississippi State, with their quarterbacks coming back, could be sleepers to make a New Year's Six Bowl next year? It's not preposterous. Uh, I don't even I don't know that it's probable, but um, it's it it's very reasonable to th- think that. You know, this morning I was going through the uh, the schedule of next year with now the idea that Hooker's back, and I'm I'm, I'm counting up wins and losses. And I went through the first time, and I and I counted the record at ten and two. And, and I quickly went back at that. I, I miscounted somewhere in there that they're going to lose one of those that I picked as a win. So let me go back and see who they are. And certainly there's two or three toss up games in there that could, you know, make them seven and five or 10 and two. But 10 and two as a ceiling is not is not strange. Alabama's on schedule. Florida's on the schedule. I'm, I'm sorry. Georgia's on the schedule. Florida is also. But Florida's a much more winnable game with Hooker back, as I mentioned. LSU's there's some issues there. We, we saw this year that. Uh, Tennessee is going to be a tough out for anybody in the East, including Kentucky. And so, no, I mean, if Tennessee's 10 and 2, they probably are in a New Year's Six Bowl. And if they're 9 and 3, depending on who they beat, they're at least in the conversation. And I don't, I don't think that's crazy to think. Now, there's other holes that have to be plugged on this team besides quarterback. You know, even if Cedric Tillman comes back, you still lost two of your three wideouts. Um, I like Jabari Small, but. Tylen Evans is probably the the more explosive, at least a, a better playmaker of the two backs. You've got to plug that hole a little bit. The offensive line get back gets back four starters, but offensive line was fine this year. It wasn't phenomenal, and there are issues on the on the defense. I like the the direction that Tennessee is going. So ten and two is possible, but a lot of things have to go have to go well, and you have to plug other things besides just hitting Hooker. Yeah, I think. Um... I think nine and three would be a reasonable regular season, high end regular season. I, I don't think you can say 10 and two because that means you win Alabama and Georgia are losses. That means you win every other game. And I don't think many teams can do win every game they're supposed to. But I do think nine and three, which would be their best regular season since 2007. That's 15, it would have been 15 years apart. So, there's great reason for Tennessee fans to be optimistic. One thing I wonder about is Josh Heupel came in here with a, a new offense. It worked beautifully. Um, if teams will hone in on this offense a little more, if they will be better prepared for this offense next season, maybe not. But it, I also don't think Tennessee was a team that people pointed to this season. I don't think Tennessee – the Tennessee game was a game that everybody circled on the schedule said, uh-oh, we got Tennessee that week. I think it could be next year, but I don't think it was this year, and I think that makes a difference. I think what I'm hearing here, guys, is that I'm not totally nuts to float the idea of of Tennessee maybe being in, in a New Year's Six conversation next year, but more likely is maybe that uh, that Citrus Bowl bid that sits – just outside of the New Year's Six for SEC teams, maybe a nine and three season in a in a Citrus Bowl bid might be a um, you know more within the realm of of possibility. And John, to your point, I'm glad you brought that up about the last time Tennessee had a nine win regular season because I think about those um, you know Butch Jones having two nine win seasons. 
in, in 2015 and 2016. But you're right, and I'd kind of forgotten about that. They needed the bowl wins in, in those years to get to nine victories. And so, yeah, as a regular season, to have a real opportunity, I think, next year with Hinton Hooker back to get to nine wins. I mean, what a what a change 12 months can make, right? I don't want to just be having the, on the orange-tinted sunglasses here. Uh, but, uh, you know, just a year ago, with the mess that Tennessee was in and with Jeremy Pruitt and and the whole bit, I mean, I know the, the NCAA cloud still sort of hovers over and until that investigation is complete and the, and the ruling is issued, it's going to be in the back of, of the mind. But it's really been quite a change here, I think, for Tennessee and, and not to make too much of a of a seven and five season, but it really feels like with hooker coming back that it, it does change the stakes for, for what's possible next year. Well, and I, and I think there is going to be some pressure. John alluded to it about the UT was not really circled in anybody's calendar th- this year. Next year, there will be an expectation that, okay, now you've got to take what you did in year one and, and you've got to build on it. Uh, seven and five won't be good enough because it will be, well, this is the second year of the offense. So offense is going to be as good or even better. Well, you have Hendon Hooker back, so it, it's going to be at least as good as this year, if not better. But we can't discount the fact that, um, you know, in the same way that we say if Tennessee would have played Florida late in the year, they would have beat Florida. Well, South Carolina ended up being a lot better at the end of the year or late in the year than they were when Tennessee played. Missouri is not going to be as bad as they were this year. Kentucky still is is a good program. So it's not like anybody that you beat this year, you're automatically going to beat next year, and those teams are going to be ready for you. So there's going to be some pressure there that Josh Hopple is going to have to deal with. This year, it was sort of happy-go-lucky. Anything that you do well, people say, hey, great, it's his first year, tough circumstances. Look at what this guy is doing, doing a lot with very little. And next year, the perception will be you have enough to at least win seven, eight games, and that's going to be a different different level of pressure they didn't deal with this year. I think what's interesting about this optimism is it's more related to coaching than it is to personnel, to the players. I know it's a it's nice that Hendon Hooker's coming back. He'll be one of the top quarterbacks, certainly a candidate for second-team All-SEC. Nobody's moving ahead of Bryce Young. But when you look at Tennessee's overall roster, look at its depth chart, I don't see a lot of All-SEC players there. I really think this optimism is based mainly – on the fact that Tennessee has a really good coaching staff. And that's completely different than it's been in all the years here. Usually it was player-based, but it's different now. People really believe and trust in Josh Heupel's offense in particularly, and they were satisfied with what the defense did given its uh, the talent level it had. So I think that's what's different. But when I try and think of all SEC players on that depth chart, I don't see a lot of candidates. Yeah, I guess that's why Tennessee going into 2022 sort of reminds me of Ole Miss going into 2021. I mean, if you were thinking of reasons why Ole Miss could win 10 games this year, it wasn't because all SEC players just were littered throughout their depth chart. Uh, I mean, their defense was terrible last year. You you believe that uh, their defense is going to be a a little bit better probably in, in year two under Lane Kiffin. And and they do have some wide receiver talent, but not first-team, all-SEC-type caliber guys. I think, for me, the biggest reason for optimism coming in this year for Ole Miss was their coaching staff, you know, a belief that in Lane Kiffin system and, and Matt Corral. And, and I think, you know, again, I see some parallels there for Tennessee next year. You, if you're optimistic, it's, uh, it's the coaching staff, it's the quarterback returning. I'll throw in one more thing, that schedule we've been talking about. 
Uh, Ole Miss had a very favorable schedule this year that helped them get to 10 and 2. I think Tennessee's schedule next year is about as favorable as, as you're going to find uh, uh, a schedule for a team that has to play Alabama and Georgia every year. You know, aside from those two, I think the, the slate sets up pretty nicely for, for Tennessee. Changing gears, guys, just a little bit, but sticking with the, the quarterback conversation, this week, of, of course, um, starting on Wednesday, is the December signing period and what has really replaced February as the main signing period for high school prospects. You'll still see a, a few guys sign in, in February at most schools, but for the most part, recruiting, by and large, is, is finished after this week. And, and a headline name in, in Tennessee's 2022 class is four-star quarterback, Taven Jackson, who committed uh, to Josh Heupel's staff, has been committed for several months and is set to join Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton as the scholarship quarterbacks next season. So what do we see the return of Hendon Hooker next year meaning for Taven Jackson? And in this era of quarterbacks heading for the transfer portal and knowing they can be immediate elig- immediately eligible in the next year, you know, is there any thought that, uh, you know, the fact that now Jackson probably isn't going to be the, the, the starter in 2022, barring something foreseen, you know, is there any, does this in any way negatively affect, I guess, um, you know, what Tennessee's trying to build long-term? Well, it'll give Josh Hopple and that staff a long, good look at Taven Jackson. We can look at Taven Jackson and say four-star talent, you know, has measurables, has the right size. He's a dual threat guy who looks like to me that he wants to throw it before he can run it. And and that's good. It's a little similar to Hendon Hooker. I won't say these are apples to apples type guys, but there are some similarities between the two. Sitting and watching Hendon Hooker for a full year, I don't think we can overstate the fact that that's going to, yes, help Taven Jackson, but also just give Hypo and that staff a look of if he's picking things up. I mean, in sort of the condensed version of this, they looked at Joe Milton and thought, we think he can do it. We think he can figure out this offense. We think he can pick up on the RPOs and make the right reads and work really fast in this offense, and they were wrong. They'll get more time to see Taven Jackson do that and see if he develops some. And it's going to be very telling, you know, somewhat what they do in the transfer portal this time. If they, They're probably going to have to add a quarterback just to have a body but what they do next year if they're looking in the portal, because that's going to tell you whether or not they think Taven Jackson is the quarterback long-term, similar to how what we saw with Harrison Bailey. Harrison Bailey was a four-star, high four-star talent, and you could tell pretty quickly that they didn't think he had a future here. And they'll, they'll be able to figure that out over one season of seeing Taven Jackson, and he'll benefit from it too. You don't want to throw a freshman into into the fray that quickly, and he was at least going to be carrying the burden of having to compete for that job in spring practice if Hendon Hooker wasn't here. I really can't imagine a scenario where Tennessee would have to start a freshman anymore. I think Heupel's offense is so appealing to quarterbacks that they're always going to have the option to pick up somebody for the, for the transfer portal. So uh, this is just the world in which we live now in college football. Freshmen can't look at a depth chart and say, well, that guy's leaving. I got a, a chance to go in there and start right away because you don't know what kind of competition might be coming out of that transfer portal. But I just think either way, Tennessee will be in good shape. Yeah, it's it's interesting 
you mentioned that, John. I, I wrote a column about that this week and really how Tennessee might be well positioned to sort of bill itself as transfer quarterback you. I know that doesn't have the same ring to it as just QBU, but you have a poster child for success here in, in Hinn and Hooker that can sort of be the face of your marketing campaign as transfer QBU. And I actually think, you know, when you're trying to win the services of high school recruits, a lot of that depends on your ability to schmooze and be a good salesman and, and whatever. I mean, high school kids usually pick their schools based on how much they develop a bond with the coaching staff or, or prestige or facilities or glamour. They're not thinking about like, well, what system do I want to play in? Or what's this coach's track record for position development? I mean, some guys are, but I think by and large, your high school kids don't think about that as much as maybe someone in the transfer portal would think, where can I go and find a system that's going to put me in position to succeed, succeed quickly, allow me to showcase my skills, not only as a passer, but as a runner, have some big stats, playing a quarterback friendly system. I think all that sets up for, for Tennessee to have success, you know, long-term with Josh Heupel with transfer quarterbacks and, Tennessee hasn't signed a five-star quarterback talent since 2002 and James Banks who ended up being a, a bust. <laughs> you have to go back to Casey Clawson to find a Tennessee five-star quarterback who, who panned out. So in five-star quarterbacks just don't roll through Tennessee with, with regularity. But I think this changes that a little bit, the, the immediate eligibility for transfers. Of course, you still want to sign five-star quarterbacks if you can, but if you can't, okay, maybe you take your three- or four-star guy, but you don't have to resign yourself to developing a three- or four-star quarterback. You say, I'm going to go try to try to find the next Hinden hooker from the transfer portal and, and, and keep doing it that way. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about not getting five-star quarterbacks, Blake. My, my inbox, according to my inbox, Arch Manning and David Cutcliffe are, are driving this way right now. They're going to be a oh. package deal, and that, that's – that that's done. So just wait a year. <laughs> and, and what does your inbox say that David Cutcliffe's going to do exactly? <laughs> I mean, just just sit back and collect checks and guarantee Arch Manning. Uh, okay. <laughs> are you not? Are you guys not getting these same emails? I, I get a few of them. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I the the transfer portal is is where they're going to be able to get these for a while. I, I think the interesting thing will be if we fast forward this maybe three years and let's say the portal is the same is that what tennessee is still going to be i think it's reasonable to say they're going to go into the portal the first let's say two years and depending on what the ncaa sanctions are that may be what you can do if you're you know if your initials your your freshman if that's if signing day if that's if that's trimmed back maybe the portal is something you can do to get around that but does josh hoppel want to go to the portal to get a quarterback every year, three years down the road, five years down the road. I, I don't know. It, it It's certainly a good option. You know, I'm interested to see where college football goes generally because we kind of have two paths here, not just a quarterback, but at every position. You've got the, you know, go into free agency, so to speak, or you've got build your farm system. And we can talk about a lot of different sports that go one of those two paths towards a championship. But I think a lot of college football teams are going to have to decide at least on certain positions, which way they're going to go with that. And uh, I, I'm not sure what Hoppel wants to do long-term. It's probably going to be portal quarterback for a little while, though. I really think if you said, we're only going to take portal quarterbacks, not even going to worry about recruiting anybody out of high school, I think you could do just fine 
Look at Oklahoma. Look at the quarterbacks Oklahoma got through through transfers. Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray. My gosh, they're getting Heisman Trophy quarterbacks from the portal. Why even fool with high school guys? I don't know that I go as far as say don't even bother signing high school guys, but I don't hate that idea. Just yeah, I mean, I think at the very least you should be taking a guy from the portal every year. I think you know there used to be this old thought of like you almost worry about having too much competition because you don't want to scare a guy into transferring. Well, who cares about that now? If a guy doesn't think he's going to win the job and wants to transfer, let him transfer. You'll you'll reload on the portal the next year. And it, you know, to your point, Adam, about the farm system approach the trouble with that it seems like in college sports now is like if you try to build a you know say a baseball team through your farm system usually you control those guys the first few years whenever they they break into the big leagues the the danger of taking the the you know the recruit and build them up approach in college football is these guys don't have to stay you know if they're not starting as as freshmen they'd say we don't want to stick around here and and uh build this with you and maybe be starters by junior our junior year we're out of here you know, and so it does seem to be, you know, I think, look, if you can sign a five-star talent like Bryce Young and, and you know, load, load your class with 10 five-stars, sure, that's the preferred path. But shy of being able to do that, I think this, this portal path is, uh, is pretty, pretty appealing. Well, and it does work itself out. You, you just said a second ago that, uh, you know, a lot of these times these guys will jump into the portal because they think they're not going to start. Somebody's going to start over them. They're usually right. I mean, these things work themselves out. Uh, you know, even this this week and this weekend, when we've seen guys in the SEC or elsewhere, notable quarterbacks jumping into the portal, you get from back channels or even sit on Twitter or whatever that why is this guy leaving? And the the thing is always, well, he wasn't going to start anyway. I, I know he started this year. He started so many games in his career, but he wasn't going to start next year anyway. That was the story with Hendon Hooker. It was he started a lot of games, but it, it wasn't going to be he wasn't going to be the guy next year. So usually these things happen naturally. Um, you don't go to your coach and say, coach, am I going to start next year? Yeah, we think you're a number one guy. You're going to start every game. There's no reason to think any different. Well, I'm going to jump into the portal. That just doesn't happen. So it will work itself out every year. I look forward to it to some extent because it makes December fun because I'm, I'm hoping the National Signing Day moves to January or back to February, and then we can just have portal talk in, in, in December. Just go back to the 2021 recruiting cycle with Tennessee. The old staff, Jeremy Pruitt's bunch. Remember what a big deal it was when he got a commitment from Caden Salter? Uh, an who? outstanding who, dual who threat this? guy. Huh? Yeah, right. I mean, uh, it was a big deal. A Texas quarterback. You know, he's had tough competition. Looked really, really good on the videotape. And now he comes in early. I mean, there was speculation that he could be the starting quarterback as a true freshman. And he comes in, gets a couple of rests, uh, proves to be a bust in that regard. They cut him loose. Now nobody even thinks about him. But that's – you don't know what you're getting. You have a better idea what you're getting when you get a transfer quarterback than you do somebody coming out of high school. It's just harder to ascertain how good they will be in your system at the college level when they're coming out of high school. It's not so difficult if, I, if they're already playing big-time football. Really appreciate you listening to us here on The Volunteer State. 
if you don't subscribe or follow already, would appreciate if you do that. That way you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and give us a rating or review. And being that this is uh, signing week, we'd appreciate it if those are five-star reviews. Those help us get in front of more listeners. And uh, you can find Adam's coverage uh, of, of National Signing Day for Tennessee or at knoxnews.com throughout the week. Adam, we've talked about um, you know a lot about the transfer portal, but I want to close with a little more thought on on Tennessee's signing class because as as fun as it is to discuss these transfers, still the old school way of building the roster seems to be you know the, where most of your bodies are, are going to come from at at this point. Maybe we see that change down the road, and and Tennessee's got a class that right now is is sort of in the it's in the top twenty hasn't hasn't crept up to, to top fifteen or anything like that, but. What's your general read on on um, on this Tennessee class? Is it, you know, good, uh, great, average? And and also, you had a piece over the weekend about how this is a a year in which there's a lot of in-state talent from Tennessee, but not a lot of that talent is going to UT. How how concerning should that be for the balls? Well, the uh, the class overall, yeah. As we record this, they're like number eighteen, I think, on twenty four seven Sports Composite. And I, I think sometimes it's weird this time of year where we get these um, uh, per, per, our perception is a little bad, where we think of you know so many years ago these classes were great or these were terrible or whatever. If they're at eighteen, they're going to be somewhere in the teens in the rankings. If you look at the last five years, Tennessee has averaged number seventeen in the rankings. So their class right now is is pretty much comparable to the last five. The last 10 years, they've been, they've averaged number 15 in the rankings. So this is really not that odd of a class. It's not top 10. It's not in the twenties. It's right where you would, you would hope it would at least be, especially under the circumstances of what Josh Hopple um, inherited. I think with this class, this is what I would call sort of a three and a half star class. And that's, I guess going to be the average about a third of the class going to be four stars. Uh, The rest are going to be three stars. Whenever you get a three-star commitment, a three-star prospect, you can name like two things they're good at and one big flaw that they have. That's sort of how these things go. Otherwise, they'd be if they didn't have a, a obvious flaw, they would be a four-star, five-star. I'll give you two examples, and this for for people to look at as they look at the signing class on Wednesday. Marcarius White, Squirrel White, Squirrel is his. Uh, a lot of people know around the UT fan base is this kid's uh, nickname. Uh, phenomenal speed. He'll be a slot receiver for them. Really quick twitch. A guy that you could see being an undersized guy that just gets the ball in Josh Apple's offense and makes things happen in the open field slot receiver. But he's five foot ten, one fifty five. So that's his flaw. So you you can you can see these things. Say that I think this guy's going to work out, but but he's undersized. Messiah Reddick. He's an offensive lineman. He's been a right tackle in high school. He'll be a guard probably for UT. This is another three-star guy. Both these guys I'm mentioning are three stars. He's 6'5", 330, and very good academically. So why is a 6'5", 330 guy, who's a mauler, by the way, if you look at his YouTube clips, this guy annihilates people. He's out of Detroit. Why is a guy at 6'5", 330 that's that's annihilating defensive lineman only a three-star? And why is why are almost all of his offers from MAC schools and Sunbelt schools and Conference USA schools? There's something missing there. Uh, you know, agility, athleticism, um, those sort of things. So just judge this class, I think, in a reasonable way, which I know is a really hard thing to do around this time of year. But look at the positives, but realize because of those flaws that about half of these guys are not going to work out 
how you think they are. This is always a tough guess. If you're Alabama or Georgia and you have a five-star, you know that guy's probably going to work out. If you have a three-star, it's really a coin flip, and that's what most of this class is. Um, on the in-state stuff, um, I got a lot of traffic, a lot of emails about this, about you know, why are you criticizing UT for not getting uh, not getting in-state guys? What difference does it make if they have a kid from Georgia or Tennessee or California or whatever? If he can play, he can play. I completely understand that. And my whole career, I've thought this is overemphasized too much, the build up the border around your state, and these are the guys that we have to get. That being said, you would still like to get the homegrown guys because they're the easiest to get. It's the most practical thing. The way to build your program is to have an identity within a couple hundred, 300 miles of your campus. And in the past, Tennessee has not really had that much talent. But if you go back about the last six to eight, maybe even 10 years, that talent has bumped up quite a bit. Back in Phil Fulmer's day, you'd get about five guys that were top 500 players in the state. This year, there are 16 when you have that many good players and other programs are coming in to get them, you should try to get them themselves. That's not Josh Hopple's fault. He got in here late. He dealt with COVID where they couldn't see uh, recruits in person. Half of these guys were already committed by the time they met Josh Hopple in person. Um, so it's up. It's not his fault. They're going to have to jump on that next year because next year's class right now has 19 players in the state of Tennessee that are in the top 500. There's a lot of opportunities, more opportunities in the state to get really good players than past coaches have had. I think Tennessee has always had to recruit nationally. Even if you go back to General Neyland, they got, they got players from all over, mainly because they knew they couldn't succeed on, based on in-state prospects alone. This isn't Alabama or Georgia. But to Adam's point, now that the state is growing in population, Nashville in particular, of course, is just booming. You're going to get more people means more prospects. So I think it's a, a really nice combination for Tennessee. It's got to make a concerted effort to rely maybe more on in-state prospects, but still it can recruit regionally and even nationally. So overall, I think Tennessee is going to benefit from that, but I think it requires a kind of, kind of a change of strategy where it didn't, it didn't focus as much on in-state talent because there just wasn't enough of it. And I think things will be different now. Guys, how long until we see an SEC coach just pretty much say, I'm not recruiting high school kids and just sign like 25 guys out of the portal. We saw Western Kentucky do that this year. Uh, Tyson Helton, former Tennessee offensive coordinator in the 2021 recruiting class, last year's recruiting class, Western Kentucky signed two high school prospects. Yes, two high school prospects and brought in 19 <laughs> transfers. And Western Kentucky's eight and five going to a bowl game this year. But that's a group of five school. How long until we see someone say, you know what, I'll sign, sign two to four high school kids and uh, bring on 25 transfers? Well, this has happened for several years at the mid-major level in basketball, and I can name you a lot of schools that would just turn over their entire roster every year of, of transfers. It starts at the mid-major level, as you mentioned, Western Kentucky. Eventually, it will move up, but there's going to be a ceiling on that. If you're ranking the, you know, from number one, Alabama or Georgia, down to 130 in terms of FBS schools, this will creep up in the bottom 30, bottom 40 it's going to be a tough go, I think, to get up to the power fives because at some point there's going to be a little bit of a pumping of the brakes with 
for example, in the Big Ten, maybe the ACC. There's not academic issues in this, but there's always some questions if you're turning over that many guys. Those type of conferences, more than the SEC, I think value stability with their student athletes for whatever that means to anybody. So I think it's going to be hard to let that creep in too much into those conferences. Maybe that means it's in the bottom of the SEC before it's anywhere. It's certainly not going to be at Alabama or Georgia, though. I think coaches, by their nature, are copycats, and they copy success. What happened in Michigan State this year with Mel Tucker, bringing in over 20 transfers, uh, transforming a mediocre program into a team that – a top-10 team. It's number 10 right now. got blown out by Ohio State. But I don't think anybody foresaw this happening with Michigan State. So I think what you're going to see – is the very elite programs, Adam just mentioned, Alabama and Georgia, what they'll do is they'll just keep recruit, They'll keep getting the, the number one or number two recruiting classes in the country, and then they'll go out and find a, a wide receiver from Ohio State like Alabama did or, or pick up somebody that just to complement the depth chart they already have, somebody that can come in and give you a quick fix at a, a, weak, a weaker position. But Below those teams, I I just think teams in the SEC and wherever are going to rely more and more on transfers. I can see Kentucky doing that a lot in the SEC. I really can. Uh, Got a transfer quarterback, transfer wide receiver this past year, really upgraded its offense. And and I think you're going to see a program like Kentucky, which seems stuck in the middle, sort of, of the league when you look at east and west seeing that's its path to moving up in the conference so i think you'll see more of that well and i think it's going to change recruiting a little bit where you're going to have to recruit more of the makeup of the player determine that as much as as much as you are what they do athletically on the field because right now we can look at like at alabama and say they they do it a little differently than everybody else if you sign at alabama you're a five star or four star and you the sort of the unwritten rule is you're going to get like one year. If you're a running back at Alabama, the guy in front of you is going to, you know, at least in a few years past, certainly wide receiver at Alabama. Now you're going to be a Heisman candidate. You're going to get about a year, but then you got to get onto the NFL because the guy behind you is going to be better than you. And (laughs) there's an understanding when you go to Alabama, that's what it's going to be. You're going to get there. You're going to wait at most positions and then you're going to get a year. Then you're going to go to the NFL and guys there are conditioned to wait. When Nick Saban retires in 2050 or (laughs) whenever that is, are you going to be able to sell that as much at Alabama or Georgia that you can sit and wait? I think uh, most kids are not going to want to wait at most programs. And so I think you're going to be recruiting that and and having to figure out enough, will this kid wait? And I think that's a, a tougher thing to determine than what a guy's 40 time is. All right, guys, Adam, uh, good luck in covering uh, signing day this week. I know it's always one of the more uh, grueling weeks of the year is is managing uh, all those signees uh, coming in and uh, perhaps maybe a few transfers as well. You just never know with the portal as as active as it is uh, these days. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.